Well, if all hearts are free, we'll turn our attention to the Word of God at this time, and uh, I'd like to take uh, I'd like to take our uh, our lesson text this morning out of Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two, and I'd like to title my sermon this morning, "The Humble Almighty Lord of All." The Humble Almighty Lord of All. And with that, I would like us to start in the fifth verse of the second chapter of the book of Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in, the, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And that's where I'd like to end our lesson text today. It's Second Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And the title, again, that we want to try to use is Jesus, the humble almighty Lord of all. Now, the first thing we notice here in, in this writing uh, to the church at Philippi is Paul's writing them. And, uh, and he says this uh, about, uh, about Christ. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And, and that was uh, one of a, a lowliness. Uh, in the third verse it says, but, let this, let, let, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And he's writing that to the body there in the church, right? Uh, those of us that are saved and those of us that are uh, baptized into the Lord's church, we all are children of God. And we should all deal with each other in that manner. And uh, but there's a there's a tendency or there's a uh, there's a temptation there uh, that when we don't feel like we get our way, uh, that we should exercise uh, our force and our authority and and try uh, to somehow make it so that we get our way. This happens in a lot now. Uh, well, it's happened a lot throughout history, uh, but we see it still occurring today. But that's not the mind that Paul is writing and saying that we should have, uh, but that we should be more humble in our mind. And he uses as an example for this the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord and Savior. Uh, and he says, "This is the let, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ." Now listen how he's going to describe Jesus, and, and he's going to describe him. As God, and that's who Jesus is. He is the incarnate God. He is God in the flesh. And he says this about God. He says, who, meaning Jesus, being in the form of God. Now, that doesn't mean uh, a bodily form. That doesn't mean uh, some kind of outward presentation. That means by his very nature and his very essence of being, he was the same as God. He was innocent, faultless, 
perfect, upright, every word that you want to use to describe that, that's what Jesus was. He was exactly the way God was. If we go back over into creation and we read about how when man was created before a body was ever created before anything was ever done or said God said this didn't he he said let's make man in our image and how did he create that man well first yes he formed a he fashioned a body for him uh, from the dust of the earth uh, but after he had fashioned that body which had no life in it he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that man became a living soul. Two parts, inward and outward. And it's the inward part that animates the outward part. We know that because when somebody passes away, uh, when somebody leaves the walk of this life, when they die, um, that inward part is gone, and that outward part remains, and there's no life in it. And so there you have an instance of Jesus, uh, God in creation, saying, let us make man in our image. And how did he make that man? He made that man perfect. He made that man upright. He, that man knew no sin. That man knew no fault or flaw or blemish or imperfection. But that man had everything provided to him by God. And that's the image that he created him in, wasn't it? He was perfect. And Jesus is perfect. In every way. And Paul says that not only is he in the form of God, but he goes on from that thought and he says, and he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The same thinking applies, right? That just as God is perfect, Jesus is perfect, and it was not a robbery because they're both on an equal footing. He didn't have to try to seize it the way Satan did when he was in heaven. Satan wanted to be at God's level, and Satan thought he would acquire it by force, uh, and that's when he and the angels that followed after him were thrown out, uh, and, uh, and so that's how uh, that went down. But here, Jesus is equal with God, not because he sought it by force, but because by his very nature, he is God. He's God. Now, there, there's this... Uh, there's this thing, uh, John chapter one verse eighteen, right? Uh, I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna go uh, uh, a little further on here. I'm gonna start at John chapter uh, I'm gonna start in John chapter fourteen verses five through eleven. Uh, Thomas 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 always had a problem with doubt. <laughs> we touched on that this morning, but Thomas uh, says unto the Lord, he says, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Of course, Jesus has told him prior to this that where he goes, he goes to prepare a place for them, and that where I am, there ye may be also. And that's what they were looking forward to, isn't it? The day that we'll uh, walk down the streets of gold in heaven, uh, the day that we'll be in the presence of God. But that's the first and the foremost thing, is that we'll be in the presence of God for all eternity. And that's the day that we're all looking forward to. And so here, Thomas is asking him about that, uh, about how can, he, how can he get to this place that you're going? And how can we get to this place where you're going to build a, a place for us to, to, to abide? How can we get to this place where you're going to be when you don't even tell us how you're going to get there? How is it that we can get there if you don't tell us the way? Of course, Jesus comes back and he says, I am the way. 
I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. That's what he says in the sixth verse, or the life. And he says, No man cometh unto the Father except by, but by me. He, he goes on and he says this to Thomas. He says, If ye had known me, ye should know, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him. In other words, he's saying, If you, if you have seen me and know me, then you have seen the Father and you know the Father because I and my Father are one. And I'm going to touch on that. That's what he said in John chapter 10 verse 30. He said, I and my Father are one. So we see here uh, that he says, If ye had known me, you should have known my father also and from henceforth you know him and have seen him but Philip is going to double down on Thomas's doubt and Philip's going to jump in the fray here in the 8th verse and Philip's going to say unto him Lord show us the father he just said if you've seen me you've seen the father but Philip says uh, show us the father show us the father and it'll suffice us and it sufficeth us. Jesus' answer to Philip is really an upbraiding, in my opinion. <laughs> Jesus' answer to Philip is this. He says, have, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He's really calling Philip into question here, because Philip has questioned the Lord, hasn't he? And so the Lord is coming back with Philip because he's one of his own and he's dealing with him in this manner. And he says to him here, we're in the ninth verse, Have I been so long a time with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that, sent, he, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Again, I and my Father are one. And how sayest then, show us the Father? Believest not, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me doeth the works. And so he's going to actually approach Philip with the same kind of concept that he approached unbelievers with, meaning the Pharisees, because he looked at the Pharisees and he said, if you don't want to believe, I'm going to paraphrase it, if you don't want to believe in me, that's fine, but believe the works. Listen to what he says to Philip here. The Father that dwelleth in me doeth the works. Eleventh verse, he says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. Because he said, It's the Father that doeth the works. Believe me for the works sake, Philip. I think Jesus had a time. You can obviously see from the scriptures that Jesus was very long-suffering toward his people, and, and he tolerated a lot. Uh, he tolerated a lot of uh, questions from them sometimes. I think that he felt like they should have progressed beyond, um, but they always needed this reinforcement. They always needed to be taught again and taught again and taught again. 
and uh, and so he he really calls Philip to task here uh, on that question that he asked because as has already been stated, I and my father. Are one and, and in verse John chapter one verse eighteen and John really hints on the character and the nature of Jesus Christ more than the other uh, more than any of the other gospels. Uh, John chapter one verse eighteen, Jesus says, "No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him." And so Jesus is in the form of God. And he is equal with God because he is God. You can say, well, how can you say that he is God? John chapter 8, verse 23 and 24. Um, we see he, Jesus says very plainly. He says clearly. He says, ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins if ye believe not that I am. Now, it's got he after that, but I don't really know that the he is necessary uh, because we all recognize that Jesus is the great I am, uh, and he says that you believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. If you don't believe that I'm God, you'll die in your sins. And so if you're here today and you're lost, if you have any doubt that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, God in the flesh, that alone can prevent you from being saved. You have to recognize that God manifested himself in the flesh, in this world, not for his sake, but for ours. But for ours. So we look at this and we think, well, geez, how is this mind in us? That Jesus, who is God, who is in the form of God, meaning he's equal with God. Uh, and it's not robbery that he, to declare that he's equal with God. That, that can't be the mind that's in us, right? Because what he said beforehand was that we would esteem every, every man higher than ourselves. Verse 3. We would esteem... Uh, uh, well, let me find it here. I, I lost my spot. Um, yeah, that, let every man not think of his own things, but, uh, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. And so we, we esteem him higher. Verse 3, right there it is. Esteem others better than ourselves. And so we look here, and he says, okay, now this same Jesus, this same Jesus who is God and was with God and is equal with God, in equal, in equal, God, equal with God, with the, the Trinity, the, the Godhead. Next verse, but he made himself of no reputation. Right, And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That same God that spoke everything into existence in creation has now been made manifest in the, amongst the family of men and, and here he is and he makes himself... Not in the reputation of a king, but he makes himself and he presents himself as a servant, doesn't he? 
Wherefore God hath highly exalted him. We'll get back there. Uh, verse 8, And being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. So let's think about this for a minute. This, this, this man who has been manifested into the world, and that was what John the Baptist's uh, real purpose was, to make manifest to Israel the Messiah, and he did that. And so we see here, that Jesus has made himself of no reputation and he's taken upon himself the form of a servant. And I cannot imagine any place in the scriptures highlighting Jesus as a servant any more than John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse starting in verses three, verse 3 and going through to verse 11. Jesus, knowing that the Father hath given all things into his hand and that he was come before God and went to God. In verse 4 it says, He riseth from the supper. So this is Jesus at the Last Supper. Uh, and, uh, and, and after the supper is finished, He rises from the table, and He lays aside His garments, and He takes a towel, and He wraps the towel. Uh, he girds Himself with the towel. After that, He poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the feet, the disciples' feet. He begins to wash their feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. Now we already touched on. Now we already touched on Thomas's doubt. We touched on some Philip's doubt, right, as it pertained to the Father. And now we're going to touch on Peter. I don't think Peter's doubting here. I just don't think Peter likes what the Lord's doing. <laughs> I think he sees it as beneath the Lord, right? That he's doing this thing. And so he comes to Peter. And, and we're in the 6th verse of the 13th chapter of John. Uh, and it says, Then he cometh to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Now, let's, let's rephrase that question in a manner that we may understand it a little better nowadays. Lord, are you... You think you're going to wash my feet? <laughs> Remember, Peter has, Peter has, it, it's the Lord, right? This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. And he looks at him and he says, whoa, you, you think you're going to wash my feet, right? And it's, it's, this one is not in an arrogant way. He's asking it in an honest way. Uh, and honestly, I think he's asking it a little bit in a state of confusion because he doesn't understand exactly why the Lord's doing this thing. Jesus answered and said unto him, what I, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. In other words, he's saying, Peter, shut up. <laughs> he's saying it very politely, though. He's saying, Peter, shut up and just let me be. Now Peter's going to get a little more indignant with the Lord in the second time that he questions him in why he's doing what he's doing. Peter says in the 8th verse, he says, Thou shalt never wash my feet. He's pretty obstinate and stubborn here. He's, he's looking at the king of glory and he's saying, You're not washing my feet. 
You're below, that's beneath you. You are above that, and I won't let you stoop down to that level, Lord. Uh, but that's not what the Lord is going to come back and say to him, is it? Because listen to what he answers him. And it's very important. And if there's anybody here that's lost, uh, I want you to understand something. What Peter is talking about here is he's telling Jesus... Nuh-uh, not here, not now, <laughs> not at this moment in time. And I know a lot of people want to take this and make it a third ordinance. It's not a third ordinance. Jesus is teaching a lesson here. Uh, and I want us to get into this lesson because it gets into the fact that Jesus presents himself as a servant in the world. And he is a servant. Uh, and Peter is not allowing him to be the servant that he came to be. And, and so here Jesus answers him and he says, If I wash thee not... He ain't talking about his feet. <laughs> He's not talking about his feet. He says, if I wash thee not. Remember, he came to him wanting to wash his feet. Peter is all stubborn and obstinate about it. Jesus looks at him and says, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Let me rephrase that in a way that we can understand it better. Peter, if you haven't been washed in the blood of the Lamb... You're not one of my own. Right? If you haven't been regenerated, if you haven't been born again, if you haven't been born from above, you're not one of my own. That's what he says to him. He says, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Then Simon Peter says unto him, Lord, not my feet only. See, he, look how fast this guy transitions from, you're not washing my feet. Don't just wash my feet, Lord. Wash my hands, wash my head, wash every bit of me till I'm clean. <laughs> Peter had bipolar, I believe, sometimes. <laughs> I believe Peter had bipolar sometimes. He would go from one extreme to the other. <laughs> He wasn't. He just was very superficial and very not not. not he didn't pay attention. And he he just wouldn't listen a lot of times. And he wouldn't. And a lot of times he elevated what he thought above even what the Lord thought. And that's what we see happening here. It, he elevated what he thought above what the Lord thought. And then Simon says, "Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head." And Jesus says unto him, "Now this is really important for those of us that are saved." What Jesus is about to teach him is very important. There's a teaching. I, I remember hearing Elder Tajima say this. I heard it through the mouth of Jerry Reynolds. Jerry Reynolds was here one night, and he, he mentioned this, uh, a saying that Elder Tajima had. Of course, if you go to the Orient, and you go into somebody's house, and you don't take off your shoes, that's an insult. <laughs> that's an insult. You always take off your shoes. I'm going to even go to Hazard, Kentucky. I'm going to take you to Lots Creek in, in, in Perry County, right, uh, growing up. If we walked in the house and we didn't take our shoes off, Mom would light into us. <laughs> Why? Because as you walk through the world, you pick up all kinds of things on the soles of your feet, don't you? 
That's why if you go over into the Middle East today, one of the biggest insults, does everybody remember when George W. Bush was given a, a, a press conference? I believe he was in Iraq. And somebody that was there in the audience stood up and they flung a shoe at him and he goes like this and it missed him. That's one of the worst insults that you can get from them is for them to throw their shoe at you. That, that means that they consider you lower than that. This is something we don't understand, but Elder Jejima said this, and this is what Brother Reynolds recalled. He said, Elder Jejima looked at Brother Reynolds one day and said, you guys in the West have very dirty feet. You have very dirty feet. Now, when I first heard that, I didn't really understand exactly what he was talking about. Brother Reynolds went in to try and explain it. <laughs> but... It went a little over my head at the moment. I understand it a little, a little better now. Jesus says this. Jesus says this to him. He that is washed needeth not to save... Hang on, let me rephrase this. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. In other words, let, let me rephrase this. The, the only thing you need to wash is your feet. Let's, re, let's get into this. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are all clean, but not all. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, ye are not all clean. Of course, we know he's talking about Judas there, because he said, have I not called you twelve, and one of you is a devil. In other words, as we walk through this world, we pick up things, don't we? And so we have to get we have to get that cleaned off of us from time to time. And so he's saying, "Look, there's something coming down the road that I know that you don't know, and I'm going to go ahead and wash your feet." <laughs> as an example or or really as an expression of really it's an expression of forgiveness of it, really. But he's washing his feet of this thing that he's that is going to happen in the future. He says, "What I do, thou knowest not now." I want to tell you this. I believe when the cock crew, that Peter knew exactly why Jesus washed his feet. I want to postulate that. I believe when I believe when the cock crew, after Peter had denied Christ three times. He knew exactly why Jesus washed his feet, and, and Jesus was exhibiting the servitude, the servitude with which it was expected that they would lead by. Romans 10.15 says this about, about this whole interaction here. How shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But you're walking through a sinful world, aren't you, when you're doing that, when you're preaching that preaching. So you gotta, you got to clean that off. you got to clean that off every once in a while. How beautiful upon the mountains, Isaiah 52, 7, are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings and publisheth peace, that bringeth good things of good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. 
Now, to touch on the fact that they're washed, right? And, and what Jesus said, he says, he says, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Paul writing to first to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11, he says this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor, idolater, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed in what? And the only thing that can wash you whiter than snow, the blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. You are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus because He paid the penalty for your sin debt and by the Spirit of our God. But that's not why all of that... It's not what earned him a name which was above every name. What earned Jesus Christ a name above every name was that in the sight of God, being equal with God, he made himself of no reputation in the fashion of a man. And what exalted him was that he became obedient. Let's read this here. And being found in the fashion of a, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. And because of that obedience unto the death, even the death of the cross, God hath highly exalted him. And he is sitting at the right hand of God, showing that all the work, by the virtue of just him sitting at the right hand of God, all the work necessary for the redemption of man has been completed. When he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. The work is done. I'm going to go take a seat now. It's over. Everything that needed to be accomplished has been accomplished. There are people that say, if Jesus really died for my sins, I've heard people say that he'd need a million crosses. He only needed one. <laughs> because he was God. And he could pay the penalty. And he could take it upon himself. He could do it. He's given him a name which is above every name. Now, I'm going to just touch on this here really quick. Isaiah 9, 6. I'm only going to touch on the names. We know the verse, right? Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Numbers 13, 6. Called out from the midst of all the rulers of Israel was a man named Hosea, the son of Nun, and Moses said, God has changed your name to a name which is above all the rulers in Israel. And it was Yeshua. In the Greek, we say Jesus. <laughs> in the Greek, we say Jesus. In the English, 
translated from the Greek, we say Jesus. Um, and so uh, we see in Matthew one twenty one, and he shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, which really means you're going to call him Savior. And that's what you really need to know Jesus as. If you're going to know him in the free and pardon for redemption of sin, you've got to know him as your Savior. And that's what his name is. Uh, Jesus, he's the Savior. He shall save his people from their sins. John 1, 1 John 4 and 14, last verse, I promise. And he and we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If you're a Calvinist, I'm sorry, that verse is problematic for you. Because he was sent for the sins of the whole world and everybody that is born among the family of men, whosoever will, if they'll seek him for the salvation of their soul, every person is capable of being redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. The question is, are you washed in the blood, right? As the old song says, has that, or have you been cleaned by the servant Savior? <laughs> He's the humble, almighty Lord of all. That's our sermon this morning. I pray you get a blessing out of it. Brother Williams, if we've got a song ready, we'll stand and sing.